Man, that was awesome. Good job, Jordan. It's one of those Sundays I feel like we could just, you know, pray and be dismissed. And Now, we're not going to do that. I'm just, right, let's, let's not get crazy. Uh, man, we are glad you're here. Thank you for joining us for worship this morning. Um, we are in the second week of a series we started last week called Living the Dream. This summer, we're going to be walking through and exploring the life of this Old Testament character named Joseph. Um, Genesis, there's more chapters on the life of Joseph than any other character in all of the book of Genesis. His life is very important, very prominent, and he has much to teach us. And there's a lot of different topics that we're going to hit as we explore this particular, uh, this particular character. And so if you have your Bibles with you today, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 39. Genesis 39. Last week, we jumped into the series. We saw the, in chapter 37, um, again, the, the, the sort of typical story of, of Joseph. When we think about Joseph, you know, he was this favored child by his father, and his father gave him this amazing, beautiful, sort of ornate uh, coat of many colors. His older brothers were all jealous of him because in his father's eyes, you know, he could do no wrong. And, and so um, Joseph has a few dreams. You know, we're going to see Joseph is the dreamer. He has a few dreams that are well, they're, they're probably dreams he shouldn't have shared with his brothers, but he does. But they're basically dreams where they're like, you know, hey, uh, all of you are going to like worship me and bow down to me. And this, of course, just makes his brothers even more angry and more frustrated. And in fact, we see then at the end of the chapter that they conspire to kill him. They conspire to kill him. They, they ultimately, you know, kind of jump him, beat him, take his coat, throw him in a pit. And instead of killing him, one of the brothers speaks up and he's like, hey, why don't we sell him? So they see some, some Ishmaelite traders come by and they decide to sell their brother into slavery, which they do. And then they, you know, they take that fancy robe and they dip it in the blood of an animal. And then, of course, they take it back to the father who uh, just assumes that he must have been eaten by a wild animal. And they essentially help console their father and they live a lie for, for 20 years while Joseph is sold into slavery. And so we're going to pick up in chapter 39. We find Joseph in Egypt, and he's going to end up in the house of a man named Potiphar, who was um, a really important person in Egypt. Uh, we're going to see that he was the captain of the guard, and so he's a very prominent figure, and we're going to see some things begin to happen and begin to unfold in Joseph's life here in chapter 39. So I'm going to read chapter 39, verses 1 through 12. It says, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer in, uh, of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. That is going to be a very important phrase as we explore the life of Joseph. You're going to see that over and over and over again. Throughout all of the trials and the circumstances and all the stuff that Joseph deals with, you're going to find that phrase, but the Lord was with Joseph, okay? It says that he became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight. He attended him and he, he made him overseer of his house and he put him in charge of all that he had. And from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that the Lord, that all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. 
The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and the field. And so he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. So basically you see Joseph sold into slavery. He starts out as just a a common slave, a lowly slave, a lowly servant in the home of this really important person. But then you see that God's hand was on him. God's favor was on him. God was with Joseph. And it's not long before Joseph begins to uh, just succeed. I mean, whatever he's doing, he's doing it well. He's proving himself to be trustworthy, so much so that Potiphar begins to go, man, everything this guy does succeeds. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him more. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put more in his care, more in his charge. Joseph proves himself to be trustworthy, and pretty soon we find that Potiphar basically says, man, all of my affairs in the house, all my business dealings, everything out in the field, Joseph's handling that stuff. I don't even have to mess with it. I don't even have to be concerned with it. Joseph has sort of worked his way up in the house of Potiphar to where literally outside of Potiphar, there's, there's nobody more important and more prominent in that, in that home and in that business dealing than Joseph. He's successful. Things are going pretty well. The second part of verse 6. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, so he clearly looked a lot like me. That's what it says in the Hebrew. Verse 7, and after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused, and he said to his master's wife, behold, because uh, of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He he is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, so this wasn't like a a one-time temptation, right? This wasn't like a one-time thing, and then he refuses, and then it just goes away. No, no. It's continual. It's persistent. It's day after day. She is trying to seduce Joseph. Day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. Verse 11 says, but one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house uh, was, were there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand, and he fled, and he got out of the house. Now, you can go on and read the rest of the chapter just for the sake of time. I'll tell you what happens. He flees and gets gets out of the house, and then Potiphar's wife uses his garment in a conspiracy against him, where she then accuses him of assault. And Joseph ends up getting thrown into prison for essentially doing what was right and refusing uh, Potiphar's wife. Incidentally, I don't know that anyone in all of Scripture, maybe in all of history, has had his clothing used in a conspiracy against him more than Joseph, right? I mean, we saw, we saw last week his brothers take his robe, and they're like, look, he's dead, right? And now Potiphar's wife's like, uh, look, he assaulted me. And Joseph's like, golly, just, man, keep your clothes on. I don't know. Like, what's the deal? Okay? Listen, it's a, it's a story where we see Joseph... He really comes across as a man of unbelievable character and integrity. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to deal with the issue of temptation. The issue of temptation. Now, 
Five months ago, almost exactly five months ago, um, I preached a sermon on temptation. We were getting started in the Luke series, and in Luke chapter 4, we, we talked about the temptation of Jesus, okay? And so just because I realize y'all probably remember every sermon and every word that Austin and I preach, right? Even from, you probably got all the notes from five months ago, and you know, but I'm just, just in case you might have forgotten some things, like I'm going to recap, let me recap some things we said five months ago about temptation, Okay? We looked at a couple of verses. One was in James chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, right? James James 1, 13 and 14. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one, okay? But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And so one of the things we said about temptation very clearly is God is not the one tempting, okay? Uh, God is not the source of of your temptation. God is not the one causing your temptation, okay? Uh, We are tempted. Satan tempts. Satan is the tempter. That's one of his sort of nicknames in Scripture, if you will. And then we're, it's clear, Scripture's clear that we're led away by our own desires. We are enticed and tempted by our own desires, okay? So it's not God. We looked at another verse in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, a great verse on temptation. It says this, no temptation has overtaken you uh, that is not common to man or woman. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Okay, so that verse tells us a couple things. One is that no matter what temptation you are facing, no matter what temptation you're dealing with, you're not alone in that temptation, okay? Someone else, other people, have indeed dealt with and faced the same temptation that you're facing. I hope that on some level is some encouragement, because I know when we think about temptation, sometimes we can feel a bit isolated. Like, am I the only one that's really dealing with this or struggling with this? And so scripture is really clear that, listen, whatever temptation you're facing, others have dealt with that particular temptation. And the second thing that verse tells us is that there's, there's always a way out. There's always an escape. Every temptation has an exit, okay? A couple of points from that sermon were that, again, temptation itself is not a sin, Jesus himself was tempted, and so to be tempted is not sinful. Temptation itself is not a sin. Another thing we we talked about in that sermon was uh, the illustration that temptation is like the bait on a hook, okay? Satan is a great fisherman, if you will, and he will bait the hook with whatever it is that entices you. Whatever bait is on your hook may not be the same bait on everybody's hook, but he knows where you're vulnerable. He knows where you're weak. He knows what will get your attention. So Satan's going to bait the hook. And the thing is, we don't always see the hook. We just see the bait. But if we can go take the bait, then Satan has got us. That's where he's going he's gonna to try to get us hooked and just start reeling us in, right? The Bible talks about sin leads to death. Temptation is the bait on the hook. Two other things we said in that sermon uh, was that you need to know your identity to deal with temptation, you need to know your identity, know who you are in Christ, that your identity is rooted in Christ. You are who God says you are. You are a child of his. You are not who Satan tries to convince you that you are, okay? So if you're going to deal with temptation, you have, to, you have to know who you are in Christ. Be grounded in that. And then finally, we saw that Jesus used Scripture as a weapon against temptation. Every time Satan tempted Jesus, Jesus responded by saying, it is written, and he would quote a scripture. And so scripture can be an unbelievable weapon or resource for you in your fight against temptation. 
As we hide God's word in our heart, as we memorize it, it's a great, it's a great weapon to use in the fight. Okay, so that's the recap from five months ago. That's like the, you know, I managed to cram a 30-minute sermon into a five-minute recap. Um, some of you are like, why can't we do that every week, right? Like, no, uh, that's the quick, the quick recap of, of that. Today, what we're dealing with in regards to temptation is a little more specific kind of temptation, and that is specifically sexual sin, sexual temptation, okay? We're a a young church. It's important that we discuss and that we talk about and that we hear what God's Word has to say about some of these things, because I know it'd be easy sometimes and maybe a little more comfortable if we just skip right over some of that, but I don't think then we're doing justice to the Word of God and what God wants to say to us. And so... Today, we're going to deal with this issue of sexual sin, sexual temptation. I know that sometimes in our culture, it can feel like things are getting worse in regard to sexual sin, sexual deviancy. It can feel like we're sort of progressively moving in a very bad direction when it comes to a lot of that stuff. But if you look through the pages of Scripture, one thing you're going to find is that sexual sin and sexual deviancy of all kinds has, has always been a problem ever since Genesis chapter 3. I mean, there is, we've said this before, like the Bible's not a PG book. Like there is some really dark, uh, sinful stuff in there. And we see it all through the Old Testament. Paul dealt with it in in the churches of the New Testament. And so it's literally been a problem all through through Scripture, all through history since Genesis chapter 3. The selfish desire for personal pleasure has been the downfall of many, many, many people. I've often heard it said that you will be a success or a statistic based on your response to temptation. In some regards, I think, that's, I think that can be true. So what I want to talk about in the story of Joseph is how do we guard against sexual sin? How do we guard against sexual sin? What did Joseph do? What are some things Joseph sort of put in his life that allowed him to say no and refuse time and time and time again? What allowed Joseph to be a man of such a character and such integrity in the face of such strong temptation? So just a few things that I wanted to, I want to point out. Number one, the first thing that I, that I jotted down was that if we're going to stand against sexual sin, we can't get prideful and let our guard down. Don't, don't get prideful and let your guard down. Here's what I mean by that. Don't think that you're somehow beyond sexual sin and temptation, right? Don't think that, well, I'm, I'm strong in that area, or this isn't my issue, this is someone else's issue, this is, this is someone else's problem. Uh, no, um, it can be your problem, right? Don't think that you're beyond it. I've said this before, but sometimes there's this assumption. It's a wrong assumption, but it's an assumption that this is primarily a, a, um, a struggle for men, the idea of lust and pornography and all these kind of things, and we think, well, that's, that's kind of a, a man's problem. Well, Here's what I would tell you. It absolutely isn't. It absolutely isn't. The fastest growing demographic in the porn industry is actually among women. And I say that just so we don't make those kinds of assumptions. Um, I don't want ladies in particular to feel like this. Again, this isn't my thing. But I also say that for this reason, like if it is something you struggle with, I don't want you to feel like shameful and guilty and isolated and like you're, you're alone in this because you're not. You're absolutely not. 
There are others uh, in our church, men and women, that struggle and that deal with this. We have resources, we have ministries set up um, for, for your good and for your benefit and for, uh, to help you with the struggle. And so I just want to kind of say that um, because I think sometimes our culture sort of puts you in camps and says, this is your sin and then this is your sin. And you might be sitting there going, uh, what if I don't fit in that camp? Like, what if, I'm, what if I feel like that's my, my issue? Uh, again, it, it, don't get to a place where you're sort of prideful and think this is beyond me because... Because that's when you're, you're, you're in, a lot of, in a lot of trouble. In fact, what we see in the life of Joseph is temptation often comes after some victory or accomplishment or success. We talked about, again, months ago when Jesus was baptized and he comes up out of the water and God from heaven says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. He's about to start his public ministry. I mean, it's victory, it's accomplishment, it's success. And then he's tempted. Joseph is in the house of Potiphar, and we're told in the verses right before the temptation how successful he was, how everything was going really, really well for him. And he had worked his way up to being in charge, and he was becoming a really important person. I mean, victory, accomplishment, success, temptation, right? So you may be thinking, man, that's a strength of mine. That's a strength of mine. This is not my issue. Listen, an unguarded strength can be a double weakness, Right? An unguarded strength can be a double weakness. The very thing you think you'll never do may be the area you're most susceptible. So we've got to be on guard and not be prideful and sort of let our guard down. The second thing that I would say is that you need to strengthen your resolve. In other words, you need to plan to say no to temptation. You need to plan to say no. You need to, you need to make sure you have sort of determined in your heart that when temptation comes, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to respond. I'm going to say no. Uh, we've said this before, but you can't wait till something happens. You can't wait till, quote, the heat of the moment and go, now what should I do here, right? No, you have to, you have to know going in, like, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm not going to do. This is how I'm going to say no to these things, You have to have a plan. You've probably heard the phrase, if you fail to plan, you're going to plan to fail. To just kind of blindly walk into a situation where there's going to be temptation and not have a plan is is treading on some dangerous dangerous ground. You've got a plan to say no. That's what, look at Joseph. He's tempted. Uh, Potiphar's wife first comes to him in in verse 7. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. Now, that seems like a pretty bold, aggressive woman, right? Lie with me, Okay. She's pretty straightforward with that. It doesn't say at the beginning of verse 8, then Joseph, he thought about it, right? Then Joseph weighed his options. Then Joseph looked around to see if anybody was looking. Then Joseph kept lusting after her. No, it basically immediately after says, but he refused. He refused. And then again, day after day, she keeps coming. The temptation gets stronger. And every time, he's determined in his heart, no, no, no. No, no. Strengthen your resolve. Plan to say no. Number three is to set some boundaries in areas where you know you're tempted. Most of us, if we're honest, we probably know the areas in which we're tempted most often, right? Most of us probably know the areas in which we're, we're most likely to be tempted or when we're most likely to be tempted. And so if that's the case, you need to set some boundaries in those particular areas. This can be in regards to to social media or media in general, technology of all kinds, 
relationship boundaries. There's all sorts of boundaries that you can set. Again, we already said temptation often comes with when and where you're most vulnerable. So we've got to learn to set some boundaries in that regard. Um, and then I would just say this, like, understand that boundaries are a blessing. Boundaries are a, a gift, if you will. Boundaries aren't something that's like there to limit your fun. Boundaries are a good thing. You think about Adam and Eve in the garden. God put some boundaries in place that were for their good. They were for their protection. They were for their joy. And Adam and Eve didn't abide by the boundaries and got into a lot of trouble, right? Things go badly when Adam and Eve forget about the boundaries. But the boundaries weren't there to sort of limit their fun. The boundaries were there for their good. And so understand when you set some boundaries, see the boundaries as a gift, not a burden. See the boundaries as a gift and not a burden. Now, when I talk about boundaries, I want to just be really careful because what I can't do, what I don't think is right for me to do is to stand up here and tell each of you what your boundaries need to be. I don't think I need to, you know, set some blanket boundaries that need to apply for every single person in every single situation. I know some pastors that feel strongly about this. Um, I'm just not into making boundaries or rules that are not really in the Bible and that Jesus himself didn't follow, okay? So here's what I mean by that. I know some that will say, um, as a boundary for me, I will, I will never be alone with a woman that is not my wife. Maybe that's a good boundary for you, considering where you struggle or have struggled, considering, you know, uh, the company and, and, and who might be. Maybe there are some boundaries along those lines that you need to implement into your life that would be very, very good. But I don't think that's some blanket boundary that I need to stand up here and declare is for all of you. I'm always, I'm always reminded, like, if Jesus had that same boundary, the woman at the well doesn't get saved, right? And so, and the other thing I start thinking about is like, you don't want to live in such a way where you like fear the opposite sex, right? <laughs> where you're like, you know, uh, here comes a woman, I got to get on the other side of the road, or I better lock my office. Like, you know, she's not a leper. Like, she, you know, like how is that going to make them feel if there's all these sort of... Ba- so listen, what I'm saying when it comes to boundaries is you just need to use, you need to use your discernment. Joseph knew the kind of person that Potiphar's wife was by this time. She had tried already repeatedly, repeatedly, temptation, temptation. He knew what she was up to. He knew what she was trying to do. And so for Joseph, some appropriate boundaries. It says uh, again in verse 10, as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not, he got to where he would not listen to her, which means every time she approaches him, he's like, nope, (laughs) right? Boundary. He would not lie beside her. He would not be with her. He got to a point where he was like, if she's in there, I'm in there. Like, I'm not. There are some appropriate boundaries that Joseph set because he knew the kind of person that Potiphar's wife was. And so all I'm saying is in your boundaries, use some discernment. Use some discernment when you set those boundaries. But boundaries are indeed a gift. And the final point that I'll make is that we need to ensure that accountability is in place in our lives. Temptation is much harder to resist when there's no accountability. Temptation is much harder to resist when there's no accountability. When you have no one in your life that, that, that you know, again, knows where you struggle, where you, where you, where you really, uh, again, are, are more prone to give in to temptation, when there's uh, compromising places and situations and there's nobody around to, to see, to watch, to view, that's when Joseph ultimately gets in trouble, Right? Verse 11 says, but one day he went into the house to do his work 
and none of the men of the house were there in the house. Uh-oh, <laughs> there's all the accountability, not there, right? Nope, they're, they're not there. And I know Joseph is often painted in Scripture as a, as a rare individual who did no wrong. We don't have all the same faults like in King David and Abraham and all these others were like, well, clearly they were very flawed people. But, but as I read about Joseph and study his life, often a lot of commentators are like, Joseph never made any mistakes. I think Joseph himself, if he was standing here, would go, yeah, I never should have walked into that house, Right? When I walk up and I see that none of the other guys are there that are normally there, and I know the kind of person Potiphar's wife is, I probably should have been like, nope, not today. I'm going to go hang out with the boys. I'm going to go see if one of them will come with me, right? Like, the accountability was gone, and that's what ultimately is, is part of the problem. So understand that accountability is really, really important. A couple more things to say, and then I'm going to be done. One thing that I really wanted to make sure I mention because I see this so often in regards to sexual sin, is that we have to stop blaming the opposite sex for our struggle and our sin. And this plays itself out in a number of different ways, and I don't have time to unpack it all. Um, But I've seen time and time again, guys, for example, where we, our own sin, our own junk, our own issues, struggle with things like lust, and we sort of justify it by going, well, yeah, but did you see what she was wearing or did you see what the way she looked at me or she was being really flirty? And again, that's all that is, is you trying to minimize your sin and blame someone else for it, okay? It's the same thing Adam did in the garden, by the way. Remember? God comes to Adam after he sins and he's like, Adam, what have you done? And what does Adam do? Well, God, it was that woman, right? It was that woman that you gave me, God. Adam's trying to minimize his sin and blame her. And, and, and that's the same thing that we so often do, is it not? Well, yes, I struggle with this, but if you think about it, it was kind of her fault. No, no, that didn't work in Genesis 3. It's not going to work for us, right? Own your sin. It works the other way around as well. I've heard ladies go like, all guys, all guys are like this, or all guys think this way, or that's all they're after. Like, Again, you're, you're overgeneralizing and you're, you're putting us into camps and you're minimizing your role, you're minimizing your sin while casting blame on someone else. And it didn't work in Genesis 3. It's not going to work. It's not going to work for us. So own our sin, confess it, repent of it. That's the proper response. I wanted to end with this. Joseph essentially gets put in jail for doing what was right. Things I think we would all agree is not real fair, Right? Well, here's what I wanted to end on. Look at verse 21. I love this. Verse 21. After he's thrown in prison, we see the verse right before it. He's put in prison in, in, in a, you know, king's prisoners. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. I underlined that in my Bible. And I just wanted to end with that because I know we've got people in the room that struggle with sexual sin and temptation. We have some in the room that have been victims of sexual sin and temptation. We have some in the room that have been falsely accused in this regard. And I know that because I've had each of those groups in my office and heard their stories. And so what I love about this verse is that when you're abused, when you're mistreated, when you're lied about, when you're wrongfully accused, when you're treated unfairly, when the world, it feels like, has turned its back on you, one of the beautiful 
parts of Joseph's story is that the Lord is with you and the Lord shows his steadfast love for you. And so no matter where you are today, no matter what the sin you struggle with or what your past looks like or what's been done to you or what you've done to someone else, I want us to hold on to this verse as we, we're going to see it all through the life of Joseph treated unfairly time and time and time again. His circumstances are not ideal, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. And my hope and my prayer is that all of us would cling to the presence and the love and the grace and the mercy of our God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for today. Um, just a beautiful, a beautiful summer day, and I'm, I'm grateful for um, the ways in which your word speaks so loudly and so clearly. And Lord, I pray uh, today that your spirit would just work and move in our hearts. I know that this uh, subject of sexual sin and temptation can be hard and awkward and maybe uncomfortable for some, but God, it is unbelievably needed, and your word is not silent on the subject. So I pray that we could learn much from the life of Joseph about being people with character and integrity who resist temptation. God, that we would not bite the hook chasing the bait. So I pray that you would help us to, again, be on guard, not to get prideful in this area, not to let our strength become a double weakness. Help us to surround ourselves, God, with the right people to have accountability and boundaries in place that we desperately, desperately need. And then, God, I pray we would have the resolve of Joseph. We'd be determined in our hearts to say no to temptation. And, God, we just confess that our spirit is often willing, but our flesh is very weak. And so we need you, Lord Jesus, to help us in that regard. Give us strength. Empower us. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.